Those are quick seconds. <laughs> Come on in, have a seat. We're now at 18 seconds. You ready, Chris? Yeah, 10 seconds. Just a reminder that all adult classes are meeting in here today. So if you're roaming the building looking for another class, you're not going to find one. All right. Let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to offer a prayer here in just a second as people kind of grab their coffee and make their way back over here. Um, I don't need to introduce Chris again because I've already done that and you have... Uh, listen to his his heart for the Lord in his sermon this morning, and he was really just getting started. So we're going to, as the morning goes on, I think he's going to get a little more specific. He's going to share different areas and avenues of what disciple making is all about, and he's already talked about starting with ourselves. And we can't give to others what we don't possess ourselves and, and remembering who we are and what our true identity is. Uh, after our class this morning... Uh, we are having a special disciple-making training time. I may need to remind everybody of this again after it's over. We invited, uh, not to be exclusive, but we wanted to have a target group, so we invited elders, deacons, connect group leaders, and ministers and their spouses to stick around with Chris. So if you're a part of that and you responded to that, um, we have a few lunches left over for those who forgot to RSVP. Just come let me know. Uh, so after this is over, we'll head to the fellowship room, we'll eat lunch, and then we'll start at noon with some more training with Chris. So uh, those are, that's kind of what we got going on this morning during our Bible class and then the training afterwards. I'm going to start with a prayer. Chris, I'm going to pass it on to you at that point. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth right here in Longview as it is in heaven. Lord, we pray today for Chris as he speaks and brings uh, good news, as he brings challenges and training and uh, stories and experiences in your word and shares that with us in this class time and in our training time. So I pray that your Holy Spirit will give him guidance and that you will open us up to really hear what he's saying and the implications it has for us as individuals and as a church. So be with Chris this morning. Again, speak through him and help us to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, Jody. And thank you again, brothers and sisters, for your time, for your welcome. Thank you for your kind words that uh, many of you shared with me after we were finished with our, our worship time this morning. And uh, this church is, uh, you do a very, very good job of creating a culture of welcome. Uh, you, you, you know, just as somebody for the first time that I've come from the young people uh, to, you know, all the way up. You, is that the polite way to say it, all the way up? I, I got in the middle of the sentence and I was like, I'm not sure I'm gonna land that one. <laughs> and that's what came out, all the way up. So um, from everybody in the church, you, you've blessed me uh, with a welcome this morning. So thank you. Uh, thank you, and, and it's a tremendous gift that we have to offer to the world. And as you can see, uh, it started from, um, I guess you could call it a non-practical place this morning when we talk about disciple-making. 
But church, if, if we don't get identity, right? Like if, if you and I don't know who we are and what we are trying to replicate, then most people aren't really gonna be willing to accept the invitation to come and be a part, right? Like, like I can really want the world to come in and to know how good Jesus is, but if I am constantly berating myself, if I think God hates me, and I'm not sure if many other people like me either, it is going to be very difficult to invite somebody else into that journey with you. And that's why we start with who we are. That's why we start with reaffirming our identity as the beloved, as sons and daughters of the king. You know, young people, you guys are in this process of figuring out you know, who you are, right? I was a youth minister for a lot of years. I've walked alongside of young people. You're, you're in this process of, of determining, like, who am I gonna be? Like, who, who is this person, you know? Let it be rooted in the fact of who Jesus says that you are. First, before anything else, before any of the sports that you, that you play, before any of the things that you do, let it be rooted in who Jesus says that you are. Because it's better, it's better than you can imagine, young people. It's better than you can imagine who Jesus is and who he says you are. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. I don't know, it's like, what in the world does that mean? Well, we're living into that, right? It's a journey. But you have been blessed extraordinarily. Know that's who you are. Uh, one of the things that we really leaned into uh, in our time as disciple makers on the field and now as we're preparing people to go out into the world to make disciples, uh, to be a part of what God is doing there, the first, you know, first thing we need to know is God is the best disciple maker. Jesus proved that when he was here on the earth, okay? God is the best disciple maker and he is still actively pursuing the world. One of the most amazing things that we're encountering now is I work a lot into the Mediterranean rim. We're working in the Muslim world, North Africa, the Middle East, and in Europe where there's been this massive flood of refugees from the Middle East coming into Europe. What we are discovering over and over and over again is that God is getting there way before we ever show up. He's revealing himself to people. People are encountering Jesus in dreams. And I know that's like, whoa, I don't know what to do with that. That's beyond our normal experience. But all across the Muslim world, we are hearing people meet Jesus' dreams and visions before any missionary ever got there. And that's okay. You don't, you don't have to believe that today. That's fine. Like I said, it's kind of outside of our normal experience. I do just want to remind us, right, just kind of challenge us a little bit that the primary tenet of our faith is that a man rose from the dead, okay? Yeah, I, just, I, I know there's some things that are beyond our experience of the spiritual. I, I get that, and that's okay. I'm not saying that you have to believe that, but I just wanna remind us of the place that you and I start from, and we affirm every, every Sunday, uh, there's a guy that was dead, and he ain't dead anymore, and he saved all of us. That is to be affirmed, and we believe, we've staked our life on that fact, and if he can, if he can do that, maybe he can show up in a dream. God is a tremendous missionary, and he's going before us, and we join him in his work, okay? 
I know you wanna make disciples here in Longview. I know you wanna see the kingdom come here in Longview and I love you for it. And I love the way that this church has its face turned towards those who aren't here yet in this place. But no, nobody wants it more than God and he is out there working, working in people's lives, preparing them for the moments when you will get to meet them when you will get to say, let me tell you who Jesus has made me to be and let me tell you who you really are, right? Like that's one of the things we were talking about this morning is that you, maybe, maybe more than anybody else, you have the opportunity to tell people in the world who they really are. And if you wanna boil disciple making down in, in perhaps a, a really easy definition, I think that's what disciple making is. It's not the mechanics of passing on the gospel story. It's not you do A plus B and then you get C, maybe a convert. That, that's not what we're talking about today. It's like you are reintroducing human beings who don't know who they are yet to who they really are. And that's why we start from our identity because you have to know who you really are before you can tell somebody else. Now we're on a journey, right? We're on a journey and be okay with where you're at on the journey. Look at yourselves with compassion today. I have to look at myself with compassion because I typically don't. Right? We come from a pretty good guilt culture, right? We think God wants us to be mad at ourselves a lot. Look at yourselves in compassion today. We're all, we're all where we are on our journey and we are discovering more and more of who he made us to be. And we affirm that it's okay to be where you're at on your journey, but let's keep moving. Let's keep going, journeying together. Let's go deeper. The kingdom goes deeper than we could ever expect. It's better. The good news is better than we could ever imagine it to be. My mind is so small, and I can imagine a lot of really cool, great things, but the kingdom is better than what we could even imagine it to be today. I don't know if we believe that. I hope we do. I hope we do. That kingdom news, that kingdom message is what the people out there in Longview want to hear. Because they know the other story, and it's just not that great. It's just not that great. One of the things we leaned into is disciple makers in Rwanda. Rwanda was really the first place where God began to teach me to pray. When we moved there, um, one of the visions that he gave us for the country uh, comes from Psalms, and it's a Psalm of David, and he's talking about, uh, you know, this battle that he had been fighting. And he said, God, pay back into our enemies sevenfold the destruction that they have wrought on us. And as we were praying and worshiping together in those early days in Rwanda, God impressed it upon us that we would ask him the same thing for what happened in Rwanda. Father, would you repay into the lap of the enemy sevenfold, and we're talking about Satan here, sevenfold what he did in this country. And so we began to pray for seven million disciples of Jesus. Every week we were together, we prayed for seven million new disciples of Jesus. Now, I don't know when God's gonna choose to answer that prayer. But we've seen the first fruits and the kingdom is coming in Rwanda. And in seven years, we saw somewhere around 250 to 300 house churches planted. 
somewhere around six to 10,000 people baptized. We saw families transform. Street kids be put back into their families. We saw people who murdered other people's family members come together and live with one another. We saw the kingdom of God come. But it all begins in prayer. As we think about making disciples here in Longview, as you're making disciples as a church, where does it begin? It begins in prayer. It doesn't begin with um, a script or a tool that would make us feel more confident as we step into, because I mean, reality is, church, I was not good enough, like I didn't know enough, I wasn't smart enough, I couldn't speak the language well enough to make disciples in Rwanda all by myself. I couldn't do it, I did not have the capacity. We're not good enough to just go out and make disciples on our own here in Longview. We need God to do what God does and that's prepare the way for people to come into the kingdom. And the way that we first partner with him is through prayer. We're gonna talk about engaging our role as priests and intercessors today. Um, We're building on who we are and our identity in Jesus. But we pray because of our priestly vocation. And I want to remind you um, once again of another aspect of who you are. We're gonna jump around in a few scriptures as talking about the priesthood. Go to Exodus chapter 19 and verse six. Gonna move around, so pull out your Bibles. We're gonna dig in a little bit here into what it means to be a priest. I don't know if that's something that you spend a lot of time thinking about. You wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror, well, good morning, priest. You know, I, I, I don't know if that's like one of your first thoughts. It's not typically one of mine, you know. Like, what does it even mean to be a priest, right? We know some Old Testament stories. Priests were the ones that killed the animals and offered the sacrifices and that kind of thing. We got a little bit of a description of a priest. And we know Jesus is the great high priest, right? We know that he's in heaven acting as the great high priest and we needed him. But what does it mean for you to be a priest? And maybe an even bigger question, what does it mean for Longview for you to be a priest? on the earth. Exodus chapter 19 and verse six says, God's in, uh, it says, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. And this is the message you must give to the people of Israel. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter two. Peter's gonna echo this once again in the New Testament. Right, God was inviting Israel to be on the earth a representative of what human beings are supposed to look like, like we talked about today, the role that the church has to play. That was Israel's role. They were to be salt. They were to be leaven. They were to be uh, this light. They were to be a way of living as a human being that was different than the world around them because they were teaching people what it meant to be human. Because the world didn't know, Right? The world around Israel, they didn't understand what it meant to be human, and they kept trying to drag Israel into their human expression and begins to become idolatry. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Peter echoes the sentiments of Exodus 19 now. You know, that was an Old Testament call. Here is the kingdom call for you and for me. First Peter chapter two, let's go to verse nine. 
that you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You're not just a priest, you're like a royal one. A holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can, listen to the role here, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Everyone in Christ is a priest. It's kind of like not dependent on you. It doesn't matter what you think about that. It doesn't matter whether you want to be that or not. It's kind of like as you're journeying with Christ now, guess what? You and I are priests. We have a function. We have an identity. We have an opportunity to share with the world of what people look like as they're living the with God life. Remember the picture of God and you? Right? Don't forget that picture. Okay, that's the with God life. That's you in Christ, me and you in Christ, living together, dwelling in this unity. And we get to have the opportunity now to introduce what the with God life looks like to other people. See, Israel got confused though, they struggled with the law. Right, they struggled with trying to keep the law, and I don't know if you've tried to keep the law, or I've tried to keep the law. Turn the message of Jesus kind of into a law, you know? Don't taste, don't touch, don't do these things. I don't know if you've had that experience. But keeping the law is really hard. I'm not very good at it. I mess up the law about every day. And that's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He said, you don't gotta do law anymore. It's done. You can give that up. You don't have to be the law keeper anymore, okay? You can live in freedom, the freedom of humanity living with the divine. Israel got confused. They began to look at everybody else around them, right? And they saw okay, what are these people doing? How are they living? How are they worshiping? What are the things that they get to do? Oh man, they get to do that in their worship with God? Whoa, that sounds way better than what we get to do. I wanna do that. A lot of it was depraved and wicked and they began to worship these idols and they began to look at everybody else around them and they said that the life without God is better than the life that we have with God. That's called exile. Before Israel ever went away into captivity, they were already there because of how they were choosing to experience God on the earth. They had forgotten that they were priests. They said, oh, forget being a priest. I just wanna go participate in what everybody else is doing. And they gave up their role and their distinction of showing people what it looks like to live the with God life. The salt had lost its saltiness, right? The light had become light no longer. They couldn't fulfill the role that God had created them to play. 
And so they went into exile, the exile that they had already chosen for themselves, by the way. God's not just being mean, okay? Israel had already chosen this, and they went into exile. So they could relearn what it means to be a unique people who teach other people what it looks like to live the with God life. You see, and that's, that's our invitation. Go over to Malachi chapter two. It's our role. I want you, this is the last priestly scripture we'll look at. Malachi chapter two. That's the book right before Matthew. Sometimes I go way back into the Old Testament to try to find Malachi, but it's just right there. Malachi chapter two, verses five through seven. Again, this is from the New Living Translation. I'm not sure which one um, you're reading from this morning. But listen, listen to the, uh, the description of what does a priest do, okay? Right, so we maybe know what a priest is. It helps people know what it looks like to be human. Okay? But what does a priest do on the earth? Okay, what does this role look like? Malachi 2, 5 through 7, the purpose of my covenant with the Levites, and these were the priests, was to bring life and peace. And that is what I gave them. This required reverence from them, and they greatly revered me. And they stood in awe of my name. They passed on to the people, okay, right? They, they had something, and they gave it to people. They passed on to the people the truth of the instructions they received from me. They didn't lie or cheat. They walked with me, the with God life living good and righteous lives, and they turned many from lives of sin. They stood as this picture of what it looked like to live differently in the world. Verse seven, the words of a priest's lips should preserve knowledge of God, and people should go to him for instruction, for the priest is the messenger of the Lord of heaven's armies. Let's go back and just recap a couple of things. The purpose of the covenant that God made with the priests was to bring life and peace. And as priests, as, as, as we, I'm gonna call you the priests of Longview, okay? As the priests of Longview, are you bringing life and peace to people who don't have any? And I don't say that like in a judgment kind of way, right? Like just honestly, like are you bringing life and peace with you into the spaces that you occupy? Are, are, are we standing as, you know, arbitrators of this new covenant that God has with people and showing people how to live and I'm going to bring life and peace with me whether, wherever I go. I confess, when I get behind the wheel of a car, I'm not bringing life and peace with me very often. Dallas-Fort Worth is crazy and I kind of get caught up in the craziness and, you know, I'll yell out some things sometimes and my wife will look at me like, who in the world are you? It's a very real example that I don't often bring life and peace with me uh, when I step into the spaces of the world. But as priests of Longview, that, that is an opportunity that you have. The priests pronounce and bring blessing to people. Numbers chapter six, and this is a blessing that I've spoken over my children uh, when they were born. This is what priests do. Priests speak blessing to people. And you know, that's what we were talking about kind of at the end of our time together. We often deal in judgment, but why would people want to interact with us if that's all we're bringing on the world? If really that's, that's the offering that as priests of Longview, you know, that we have to offer to people is just judgment. 
they're not going to want to be a part of this. And I'm not talking about not telling people the truth. Right? But I mean, there are, there's a lot of instructions on how to tell people the truth in the New Testament. It has to do with love. We speak the truth in love. That's what's talked about, right? But we are priests. You're a priest of Longview, and you speak blessing over people. How, practically, how do you do this? How do, you, how do you do this in the restaurant where you'll go maybe this afternoon? How, how do you do this in your workplace tomorrow? How, young people, how, how do you pronounce blessing over people when you're in school? And I know this is like kind of weird stuff, and I'm not saying like put on this priestly robe and stand in the hallway and say, come to me and let me pronounce blessing over you. But it's like, what do your words and your life have to say to people? Because people hear condemnation and judgment all day long, and if we're gonna make disciples, they have to hear something different from us. Numbers chapter six, this is the blessing that God's told Aaron to speak over the people of Israel, verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons to bless the people of Israel with this special blessing. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. And whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, I myself will bless them. Those are pretty good words to hear, right? Better than you're stupid, you're ugly, you're not skinny enough, you're not fast enough, you're no good. You don't make good enough grades. You disappoint me all the time. I'm sick of you. Why can't you just get your stuff together? Those are the words that the world hears all the time. You have an opportunity as priests, as a priest of Longview, to step in and to tell them different things about who they really are and about who God is. What would this look like in the restaurant? I don't know. Thank you for serving us today. Rita, maybe that's the waitress's name. I don't know. <laughs> Coming up with weird things. Rita, I don't know where that came from. Rita, may the Lord bless you today. Rita, I just wanted you to know that you, you were made in the image of God and you're really special. I don't know, maybe Rita's gonna look at you like you are out of your mind. Just give me a tip and leave. Maybe that's what she would do. I don't know. But maybe those are the words that she's been dying to hear. Because all she hears in her world is judgment. As priests, that's what we have to stand to offer to people. As disciple makers, that's the way that we lead. That's the way that we step in and lead. Priests bring about an encounter between God and people. They, they stand in between, you know, where God and people are, right? That's what the, the, this picture of what Jesus is doing is constantly interceding for us. We'll read that in a minute. But you, okay, this, this stuff kind of blows my mind, right? So when you think about it, the temple, when it was made back in the Old Testament, 
there was one physical place. Okay, you think about the physicality of it. There was one physical place on the earth where a person could go to have an interaction with God, right? That was the, that was the represent, representation of the tabernacle first as Israel carried it with them. They would set it up in the desert and then God would come in that place and if you wanted to go and be with God, you would go to that one physical place on the earth, right? Okay? See that in the tabernacle and in the temple. But then we get over into the New Testament. We begin to hear teachings about that we are the body of Christ, that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Paul will go on to say that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, okay? The physical temple, the tabernacle has been replaced. What has it been replaced with? Church building? Uh Uh-uh. You You, we, are a physical place now where heaven and earth meet. I'm telling you, this is bigger than showing up for church on Sundays. The kingdom of God coming into the world and working through you and through me, like... You have, the temple is no longer necessary because you are here. God looks at you and he looks at me and says, I'm so glad I've chosen them. They're my people of blessing and I've poured out everything on them. And now you are standing as a place that people can come and have an interaction with God when they interact with you. Again, I don't say this as guilty, okay? Please don't, I'm not, not speaking judgment. If we need to be convicted, we'll let the Spirit do his work and that's fine. But I am talking about the opportunity that people have to interact with God through an interaction with you, not through an interaction with me. And the amazing opportunity we have to speak blessing and to invite people in to a place that they have always wanted to be. That blows my mind a little bit. I don't know about you, okay? It blows my mind a little bit that God has chosen to meet people on the earth through me. The priestly vocation is huge. We pray also from a place of oneness. Again, we're going back to the with God life, okay? Remember the picture of God represented as that sun or whatever and we're the little circle? And we're together, okay? Go over to John chapter 15. Jesus will call this abiding. We'll take a look at this real quick. John chapter 15. We'll start in verse one. I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them 
will produce much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. I live my life as if that last part of that verse isn't true, or at least I try to. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But what's Jesus inviting people into? It's like, do branches have to work like, oh man, I just, I gotta be the best branch I can be today. You know, I'm just gonna be the most beautiful branch you've ever seen. A branch is a branch. Its job is to stay connected. It doesn't think too hard about what happens coming out of its ends because that's not its job. Its job is to abide. Its job is to remain. And Jesus said, I am in you and you are in me. It's this unity that he is inviting us into, right? And it's like, when we think about unity, I don't quite know how to describe this, okay? Like, what does it mean for us to live the with God life being in Christ while at the same time retaining our uniqueness? I think marriage has something to teach us about that, right? Where the two people become something one. You know, myself and my wife, we're still very unique people, but we have come together in unity now as something different than what we were before. You think about the Trinity, right? You got the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. There is this uniqueness of the Trinity, this uniqueness of their existence, right? They have individual distinctiveness, but at the same time, it's called God. They're one. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into here in John chapter 15. And he, what he, what's his invitation? Stay a part of this. Why? Because when we pray, we pray from a place of oneness. You need to know this. It's not like you're trying to convince God to do something because we were a part of who God is. I feel like so separated from God sometimes. It's like I'm begging God, please, you know, but it's a different story when I recognize where I pray from. And when we pray and intercede as priests for the people of Longview, when we pray from a place of oneness and a place of connection, God does amazing things through you and through me. Verse seven of 15, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, listen to this, priests, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Is Jesus being metaphorical? Is Jesus just like trying to give us something to aspire to? Or maybe one day, if you become good enough Christian, then you can ask this. It doesn't really have anything to do with our behavior. It has to do with our oneness. It has to do with our connection to the spirit of what he wants to do on the earth and produce through you as a branch. So when we pray from a place of oneness, Jesus says, ask for anything you want and it will be done for you. What do we want? We want healing from cancer want our kids to walk with Jesus. I want to be able to take care of my family. I don't know what it is that you want. As priests, I think one of the things that we want is for the people of this city 
to experience the kingdom of God on the earth. So we pray for it. And then disciple making, because you and I as priests, we get to have this relationship with God. We pray from a place of oneness, of connectedness, and we intercede for the people who don't know who they are yet. We pray for the kingdom to come into neighborhoods that are desolated by drug addiction, by broken families, by poverty, by hopelessness. We start our disciple-making journey in prayer and in intercession because that's who we are as priests. I need to be done at 11.15, Jody. Yep, okay. Practically, what does that look like? Well, we need a burden, first of all, for the community. We need to step into our role as priests and recognize that everywhere we go, our role is to pronounce blessing on the community out there. When we leave here, it's like, man, people should know like when the church leaves the sanctuary because unbelievable amounts of blessing happen. Oh man, those folks at Pine Tree, they just finished with their worship. How, how do you know? Man, there's blessing, there's this wake of blessing that followed them everywhere they went. As we come together, as we pray, we pray corporately together for our community. We pray in our connection groups. We pray in our community Bible times. We pray individually. Um, there's a lot of mechanics that, that we can put together. You know, what does it look like for you to move out in teams and prayer walk in the community together in the places where the kingdom of God needs to meet the earth? Like maybe there's neighborhoods in your community, we'll talk more about this at the training this afternoon, but maybe there's communities in, in, in your city here that has not had a person walk in there and pray for the people maybe since they've been in existence. As priests, I mean, would, would we do that? Like, would we move out into those spaces and and not pronounce judgment over a very desolate and broken place, but invite the kingdom of earth to come there through our prayers. And can we believe? Like, I, I think the thing, one of the things I'm being really impressed upon by the Spirit right now is can we believe that we can ask for whatever we want and it will be done? Can we pray those kind of prayers for our community? Believing that it will be done, that your schools would be different. Like, schools are dark places, man. I get it. I know. I've seen it. It's hard. Schools are tough. We see shootings. We see all kinds of terrible things happen in places that are supposed to be safe. Why? Because we have an enemy. Our city's under assault. kind of prayers will we offer at the starting point of our disciple-making journey? I'm telling you, don't move out there until you have prayed from a place of oneness.
Because the enemy likes to chew people up and spit them out. And he will stand against you in the reclamation of this city. Now, your prayers matter. And your priesthood matters. It matters for this city. It matters for these people. You are the beloved. Keep going back to that, okay? Hold on to that good news today. You are the beloved. Jesus has taught you and is teaching you what it means to be human. Help other people do the same. Love you. Thank you for letting me be with you today. Uh, as you can tell, I've got a lot of words. <laughs> but, but it's because my, my heart is just really overflowing for what the kingdom of God can do on the earth. And I know you want the same thing. So I just wanted to encourage you this, this morning. I wanted to love you. I wanted you to be blessed. May you be blessed as you bless other people. And may the kingdom of God come here. Thank you, brothers and sisters. Before we leave, if you're staying for the training, uh, we invited the, you know, again, deacons, elders, connect group leaders, ministers. Uh, some of you are texting and RSVPing as we're going. Uh, if, just, if you didn't sign up, still come in there if you want to stay. Uh, we, our food is here, and if you're staying for the training, we're going to eat at about 1130, and then we're going to start this thing at noon. Uh, Jessica has my keys right now, so I can't get into that storage closet, so if you're staying for it, you want to help roll out some tables. I would appreciate that. Uh, I want to offer a prayer. Thank you, Chris, uh, for coming today, and thank you, everybody, for, for joining us this morning. God, we pray right now. We thank you for this time that we've had. Uh, thank you for Chris and, again, his heart and his connection with you and his um, just his spirit and your spirit living within him. Be with us as we think about what it means to make disciples in this community. I pray that you are preparing hearts right now and that you will show us where we need to go and who we need to reach and how to do that. Be with us as we leave today and go throughout our week. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.